The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about turning conflict into peace of mind. And I've been reading this book, that that's the subtitle of it, and it's, by, it's called The Conflict Pivot, Turning Conflict into Peace of Mind by Tammy Lenski. And I have been uh, following through her emails. I've been following her and found out about her new book. And she didn't know this, but, you know, we have actually kind of met through the Association for Conflict Resolutions online. And so it's so much fun to get to know people on the other side of the country. She is from New Hampshire, a cute little state on the East Coast. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Tammy Lenski, who helps people resolve conflict in business and personal relationships. And she specializes in simple, everyday conflict resolution practices that create really powerful shifts and lasting results. Tammy's worked with thousands of organizations, couples, and individuals nation worldwide as an executive coach. She's a speaker, a master mediator, an educator, and an author. And prior to founding her own firm, Tammy had more than a decade of experience as a college dean and faculty member, and she was also the founding faculty member of the Mediation and Applied Conflict Studies graduate program at Woodbury College. She's the author of two conflict resolution books. Her first one was Making Mediation Your Day Job, and this new one that I've just about finished and I love called The Conflict Pivot, which was just recently released. And she's a member of the Association for Conflict Resolutions Academy of Advanced Practitioners. And in 2012, she received the association's prestigious Mary Parker Follett Award for innovative and pioneering work in the conflict resolution field. So I'm really so, so thrilled that she's joining us from the East Coast. Thank you so much. We sure appreciate having you on the show. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Mari. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So first of all, why don't you tell me, how is it that you decided to write this book? Oh, well, I wrote this book. (laughs) I've been writing this book for a long, long time. I decided to do it years ago, and it really came out of a series of of circumstances. Uh, I kept hearing from both clients and graduate students that I had in class uh, that there are really, really a a lot of terrific conflict resolution books out there. But when uh, when push came to shove, they couldn't remember at all. And one student said to me, and I quote him in the book, his name was Craig, and he said, can't someone just 
show me three things. So I, <laughs> right. I can remember three things. And what, what are those three things that would get me most of the way there? And that really stuck with me. Um, and so I, that was really sort of buzzing around in my mind. And I was really trying to do my work with clients really relies a lot on people finding their, uh, a, a different path through the conflict. Because they're doing, they're in an ongoing relationship. They're in a relationship that either has to continue or, mu- or or they want to continue, and so there's a lot of self work involved in that for folks. Yes. And so I was really looking for a way to help someone think about a conflict and approach a conflict uh, that allowed them to make incredible progress, sort of regardless of what the other person was willing to do at that moment. Uh, I wanted people to sort of take their power back and figure out how to find their own peace of mind without worrying all the time that everything had to be sorted out, you know, every T crossed, every uh, I dotted. So that was sort of in a nutshell what was the genesis of this book years and years ago, and I've been uh, working in the years since developing this this approach and using it with my clients and testing it out with my graduate students and getting back and, and moving it from there. And right, and having the chance to practice it has really um, made it even better, I'm sure. And and you know, I think about um, you know when when I'm working with clients myself in mediation, and if they stay in that same position where they're thinking that they can change someone else, it's hard enough just to change yourself, let alone try and even think about changing anyone else. So that's where your real power is. If you can change yourself, change, shift, like you talk about pivots, just shift your own thinking that that in, 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 in essence really helps to change the whole uh, resolution or at least the whole way you look about something. So why do you disagree with the comment advice, uh, don't take it personally? People always say, well, don't take it personally. Yeah, I, Right. Uh, you know, it's not terrible advice to say don't take it personally makes tons of sense and, it, and it's useful, but I don't think it's very doable in the midst of conflict. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but if someone says to me, if I'm sort of in the throes of a conflict and someone says to me, oh, don't worry about it, don't take it so personally, nothing miraculously happens. You know, the heavens <laughs> don't know, the sun doesn't suddenly shine and the angels sing and suddenly I don't. Um, so my experience is that say, telling someone not to take it personally is premature advice. They have to do something else first before they can get there. And that thing that they have to do first is almost counterintuitive, and that means they have to get closer to the. They almost have to take it more personally. Right. I always say to folks, you know, conflict is very personal. We feel it in our gut. We feel the pain of it in our hearts. We see how it messes with our minds. And so to pretend that it isn't personal is sort of missing the point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, Fisher and Yuri, who I studied with when I did my postgraduate at Harvard, you know, they, they have that separate the person from the problem. And, it, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do because you do feel personally that you're attacked. So, yeah, I, uh, I've developed a little thing myself where you first get in and feel. If you feel that knife in your solar plexus, first feel it and then release it and then you know get your head together <laughs> because i think emotionally it's hard right it's exactly, the emotions yeah. that are hard once you can deal with that emotions before you uh speak like they say there's a wonderful uh uh quote that i heard by i think the guy's name is uh, um 
Pierce or Pierce, and it's speak when you're angry, and you'll say the best speech you ever regret. Yeah, <laughs> Ambrose Pierce. Yes, yeah, I, I know re- that's right. That Thank quote. you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that one because that's what I tell people. You know, you may feel it. You obviously somebody says something to you, and it just you want to just your knee jerk reaction is you want to do something, but don't, don't. Just hold yourself back, feel it, and then get yourself clarity, and then you can do it. But it is hard to take something that someone says to you that's really in a front that gets to you. So you're right. Well, you know, I think what happens, too, is if someone is trying not to take it personally and they're not, and they're failing, then they sort of <laughs> add more injury onto it for themselves. You know, then they feel bad or that they can't pull that off. And right. I don't know why. And the truth of the matter is conflict's really personal, and when you figure it out, you figure out what in there is eating at your gut. Right. Then you have an amazing key. And then you ultimately can get to that place of being able to not take it so personally. Yes. So as you know from your work. Yep. Yep. Now you've written that there's no such thing as difficult people. People will I'm sure they're gonna say to you, What do you mean there are no such people you know, such people as difficult people? What do you say to them? <laughs> I say that I use that comment in workshops a lot, and I can always see the skepticism in everyone's face because they're sitting there in a conflict resolution workshop because <laughs> someone, in the, someone is difficult in, in their minds. You know, there's a great quote by a psychologist named Jeffrey Kotler who wrote a fabulous book that's out of print now, but you can still get used copies. It's called Beyond Blame. And Kotler says, every person you fight with has many people in his life with whom he gets along quite well. And you cannot look at a person who seems difficult to you without also looking at yourself. Right. And to me, that sums up what I mean. You know, when we think that someone's difficult, we're branding them as just, you know, they get out of bed and they wake up, you know, they stand up every morning and they put on a, the difficult person. <laughs> and I just don't buy that. I don't think most people do that. I think most people who seem difficult to us, the difficulty is in the space between us. It's in how they are and how we are and the, how those two things fit together. And, you know, I think when, when I say there really are no difficult people, what I'm really trying to do is to get people to stop letting themselves off the hook for their contribution to what's going on. Right. Because right. we all have a little piece of it, right? Right. So that's really what I'm trying to do and sort of getting people's attention by saying that. And, and another thing that we, and that I know you know this too, but for me, when I see people in conflict, um, and, and that's what I do for a living as well, is that they're hurting and they're hurting and they're angry. So they may seem uh, more difficult because they're having so many difficulties inside of them that if they weren't in this conflict, they may not be like this at all. And Absolutely. so that's that's what I try and remember is that people who are angry, people who are, you know, acting very difficult are probably having a lot of turmoil inside that they have to do that and so that that kind of helps me to kind of lift above that and just say you know even you know because sometimes you know they'll attack a mediator just because they're attacking everybody in the room and you're in there too yeah so um so that's what helps me is to remember that they're really having a hard time with this and then it it i don't have to you know that helps me to separate them from the issue as well I think that's great. You know, I think the kind of non-judgmental presence that you're talking about uh, is really important for mediators like us, coaches like us. Uh, but it, when people can cultivate that in their own lives with the, their loved ones and the people that they're conflicting with, that kind of non-judgmental way of looking at the other person, is, it's really hard to do. It uh, is hard But to when do. we can pull it off and we can keep our feet under us and we can keep our balance and our calm 
and access are good ways, you know, then those that kind of thinking really opens things up. Right. And and we're also not going to be embarrassed by something that we say later. You know, it really puts us at a place that's that's more uh, centered and more calm as well as if we can see them in a different way. And then, of course, sometimes just that energy shift shifts the other person, too. Oh, absolutely. Which is absolutely. beautiful. Yeah, if you can do that. So that's what I try and do in my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, you know, and so sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes and in the past, and not so much lately, but in the past, my husband would say, and you're a mediator? You know? <laughs> yes. I sometimes say that to myself. I slap my hand on my yeah. forehead and say, oh, my gosh. I hope no one who knows me is looking right now because I would have to have fraud tattooed on my forehead. That was partly also, you know, it was really self-serving of me to write this book because I was also trying to figure out what are some simple straightforward things I can do when I'm caught yes. in the midst of things yes. um, uh, that help me bring my best self to that moment Yes, uh, when I've lost my balance and how do I help, and help me get it back. And, um, yeah, that, <laughs> that's <laughs> true for marriages, for sure. Yeah, you know, we're human beings. And, and you know, I laugh about the, the saying, we teach best what we need to learn, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I'm, yeah, yeah. and I'm co-authoring a book right now uh, called Couples Fighting for Love. And, and so um, Great my, title. Yeah, my, my co-author and I, it's, it's, the subtitle is Finding the Gifted Conflict. And it'll come out in January. It's done, but we're working, we're doing some workshops with it first to see if we want improve it anymore but um my poor husband i have to practice on him all these things you know (laughs) (laughs) i know my husband as you know from reading the book i use him as an example or us as an example a number of times in the book and uh someone said to me how do you get how did you get him to agree to that and i said he's long suffering you know (laughs) he's incredibly patient and he had the right to have to nix anything that i put in there that he didn't want right Um, but yeah i'm always experimenting a lot of the pivots that i developed really were experimented on in some of our own disagreements. Exactly. (laughs) They were put to the real test. uh, Yeah, and so we have to do that. So my co-author and I, I would say, well, Okay, so we're talking about this. Tell me how that would work with with Ingrid. You know how yeah. how, did, how would that? And then he'll say something. Well, tell me about Lloyd. You know what would that? And then we go. Oh, we have to change that. <laughs> 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 that won't work at all. <laughs> you know. So it, it is important that we. You know, we're human beings, and so we also are experiencing what everyone else does in in conflict. And we're just really trying to do our research and and improve ourselves. And as we do, we can help others. So that's great. Well, and it keeps us humble, right? Yeah. yeah. Any temptation to ride in on a white horse (laughs) gets removed pretty quickly. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I know you've said for years that compromise is a bad word in your dictionary. So let's, let's explain to my audience what you mean by that. Well, by definition, a compromise, is a compromise is a way to settle a dispute by each side making concessions, right? Most people understand that definition mm-hmm. of compromise. And again, a lot of my work, my orientation to my work is people who are in ongoing relationship. They work together, they're business partners, they're couples, they're family members. And it's generally, I think, a bad relationship strategy to resolve disagreements by starting with compromise. Compromise is the fallback position. Right. Compromise is where you go if nothing else works out, but there are lots of other ways to resolve that don't involve starting with what you're going to give up. Right. Right. Uh, I've heard Ellen Langer, who's a great uh, Harvard psychologist, has written a number of really fabulous books. Uh, I heard her interviewed on NPR a few weeks ago, and she, <laughs> I was so happy. I was jumping up and down. 
figuratively because I was driving. She said, I'm against <laughs> compromise because it's an agreement for everybody to lose. Yes, and it's lose-lose. Yes. Lose. Yeah, so it was <laughs> the, like, the most succinct way. I wish I had found that way to say it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what most people, when people say, oh, you, you know, in marriages, in the workplace, you've got to learn to compromise. I think what people are really trying to say there is that individ- individuals should be flexible. They should be willing to occasionally give up something for the sake of the other person's desires or needs. And that, to me, is very fair and very reasonable and, and a good way to navigate a relationship. But the act of negotiating the problems and navigating the problems should not start with compromise in the traditional sense, which is I'm going to make a bunch of concessions, so I'm going to ask for more of them what I want because I know that I'm going to have to trade off. I think that ultimately that leads a lot of little pockmarks in relationships, and it's really hard to... Um, those back up over time. Right. It's, it's like that old adage that was in, uh, you know, the story about the orange, the two kids are fighting over the orange. And yeah. one way to the compromise is cut the orange in half. But in reality, you know, if one kid wants the inside to eat and the other one wants the outside for an art project, everybody lost. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. getting back down to, you know, what do you really want? What are the interests that, that they have? Because sometimes my interests can be satisfied at the same time yours. We could get all of our interests satisfied. So that's what people kind of forget about. They think that uh, you have to cut the the orange in half. Right. Yeah, well said. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about some of the frequent traps that people fall into during conflict. Well, these are the traps that I, you know, that I explored in great depth in the book because there are certain things that, you know, I've been mediating for about 15, a little more than 15 years. I've been coaching, I've been training all that time, a lot of the same kind of work that you do. And um, some of these traps just come up again and again and again. And one of them is that people get really committed to what I call their stuck story. And mm-hmm. I don't mean other people. I, that's true for me, too. So what happens is we have a conflict with somebody or we have a, a, some tension with somebody, and we start to tell a story to ourselves about it. We go into a coworker's office, we sit down, and we say, let me tell you what just happened. And then we go home and we say to our partner, hey, let me tell you what happened today. And we call our best friend and we say, let me tell you what happened. And we think about it in the shower or our morning run or even during yoga when we're not supposed to be thinking about those things. Right, right. We think about all of these things. And what we're doing inadvertently is we're practicing our story. Yes. What happens, I think, I, I, I say it's like the movie trailer of the conflict, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, where all right. the best parts are captured and the, the less important parts aren't. And over time, we practice and we rehearse and we polish that story, and it starts feeling like the truth because we're so comfortable with and familiar with that story, and we forget that it's really only just a story of the conflict but not the story of the conflict. Right. The story of the conflict involves stuff that no one remembered, stuff that no one noticed, and uh, the experiences of everyone involved. So a trap, you know, that I say is that you've got, if people get committed to their stuck story and wedded to it as though it is the truth about what happened, uh, and it's not. Right. And uh, one of the most important things to do to get conflict unstuck is to start loosening your grip on that stuck story and do something else instead. And in the book, I talk about what that is. Right. And to be stuck in the past, you know, you talk about being in the present and looking toward the future. And that shift is, okay, you know, I just was speaking with a new client whose husband has um, been cheating. And he has also been doing a lot of not only cheating physically with another woman, but he's been cheating with other things. 
And um, so, you know, she's been talking about this story and going on and on about this story. And I said, and then she said, my children are really hurting. And I, and, you know, I said to her, I said, it's time to let go of that story and look at all the good that you are going to have come out of this. It's time to think about the blessing in disguise. Were you really happy in that marriage before this all happened? No. Okay, so let's, you know, it kind of getting people to look at the past and letting go of that past and looking at the positive of what's coming now and in the future. And that helps because that deflects a lot of the conflict that we don't have to talk about when we get to mediation, all the bad things that he did, you know, it just well, exactly. Yeah. Because that's a waste of energy. And then the more you talk about the story, the more you get aggravated about it. Right. Right. <laughs> right absolutely. We're feed the beast. Exactly. You know? and, and so in the past, getting stuck in the past and spending a lot of time sort of mining the past past for all that went wrong and all that uh, the other person did that wasn't right. And maybe what you did, if you're good at self-flagellating all the things you wish you had done differently. <laughs> And, right. you know, I always say to folks, it's really hard to face forward and walk forward when you're looking over your shoulder. Yes. You know, you're in, you, the, the stumble and the fall are inevitable. And conflict is what happened in the past, but conflict resolution is really about what you're going to do from this moment forward. Yes, yes. And, and um, that's, that's yeah. why I, I like mediation so much better than litigation. Litigation always looks backward. Whose fault, right? Mm. It always looks at the past, and you stay in that story, and you stay in that stress and all that, whereas mediation says, okay, it is what it is. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now to change it, to make it better, to get this thing over with? And so that is really, you know, for those people who are listening that kind of wonder about, you know, there is really no conflict resolution when you go to court. There is a maybe an end of the suit, but it's not conflict resolution at all. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the, the name of the book is The Conflict Pivot. So can you talk to us about what is a conflict pivot and what the three kind of give us an overview of what the three pivots are? Sure. So a pivot is just like, uh, you know, if you play sports and you watch basketball, you see basketball players pivoting, you know, holding the ball. Mm-hmm. And they're pivoting. And it, the word pivot has become really a, a big word in business these days about businesses pivoting mm-hmm. uh, and change, especially startups rethinking what their real work is and pivoting in business to, to have better success. So a pivot in conflict is just the same idea. It's this notion of a purposeful change in the direction you're focusing your attention during conflict in order to achieve better results. So I'm asking people to pivot from certain things that they tend to focus on to a different thing. And so there are three pivots that I talk about in the book. And the first one is going to sound familiar because we just talked about stuck stories. The first pivot is to pivot away from your stuck story and toward its message. See, we, we take the stories that we tell ourselves about the conflict at face value as though, again, they're the truth about what happened. I'm not saying that those stories are unimportant. They're actually really important, but they're not important for the reasons we think. Right. They're important because we get the movie trailer we create in that about that conflict has a really important message for yes. us if we know how to figure out what it is. Right. That's where the key is for us. So I want people to pivot away from the commitment to their stuck story and even telling their stuck story. Sometimes I say to a client, I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, it's the 20th time you've told me a version of that. It's time to stop. Right. And I want them to pivot toward figuring out what the message in that stuck story is. Right, right. It's second, like, it's, and I just oh, want to stick with that because yeah. that's such an important thing. It's just like 
when you want to look at history, you look at the history and what did I learn from it? What was the lesson from it so that I don't repeat it again? It's like we look at history because we don't want to have the same thing that we had in World War II. We don't want to have, a you know, a Hitler again. So I think it's really important to, to look at it, understand what it is, have the lesson from it and take that lesson forward, Right. Well, you know, I think of the message in our stuck story is very different from a lesson, and, and okay. it's it's probably just semantics. But um, when I, if I ask a client what the lesson that they get from the conflict is, it's tempting to have a martyred response. Oh. My lesson is that I'll never marry someone like him again. <laughs> My lesson is I'll never hire someone again that oh, the faculty didn't want, or right. you know, so. The lessons That's tend the to Band-Aid. be all about uh, yeah. our own failings, but largely the other person's failings. Right. So I, I prefer to stay away from the idea of mining the past for a lesson okay. and instead say the stu- there's a message in your stuck story. It's got nothing to do with lessons. Right. It's got to do with what in- is bothering you in this conflict. Because right. when you figure it out, it's got nothing to do with the other person, by the way. It's got everything right. to do with you. When you figure that out, that's where um, the, ch- the, the chance at your freedom is. Yes, and, and that goes to the, the second pivot. And so the, the, the second pivot is to stop focusing on their behavior, to pivot away from thinking about their behavior, what they haven't done, what they should have done, what you right. wish they'd do, what you wish they wouldn't do, et cetera, right. and turn your attention instead toward what I call conflict hooks. Right. So a conflict hook is a part of your identity that's been snagged uh, in the conflict, and this is a really important concept because when I say conflict is really personal, there's something identity-related to it. many, many of the conflicts that I deal with uh, for people who are in an ongoing relationship. And so essentially what I'm saying is that turn your attention away from the things the other person's doing and toward the underlying reasons you've been snagged by this conflict, how yeah. it grabbed you just like a barbed wire fence grabs you and how it, why it's holding you fast. Yes, and you have all those list of things, you know, things like your integrity and, yes. and, and you know, real core issues of your heart. And so, yeah, so those, wh- what is it? Well, I'm feeling inadequate or, you know, disempowered or whatever it is, like really what your issues are. And I really love that list that you have in the book, too, to really kind of go deep and say, well, what is it that's really going on with me? Why I was so hooked to it and why do I stay hooked to it? I thought that was really great. Yeah, there are six really common hooks that uh, that are part of our identity, the, w- the way we see ourselves in the world and wish other people would, too. Right. Um, and I, I talk about those, obviously, in the book. And uh, I'll, you know, my work with folks, a lot of them boil down to one of those six hooks. Not right. 100% of the time, but a lot of them. But they made sense, and I've got them right here because I was reading them, and I thought, you know, competence, uh, autonomy, you know, our need to be acknowledged as independent people and self-reliant fellowship, our status, our reliability, are we seen as trustworthy, and our integrity. So when those things, you know, when you get something that is attacking one of those areas, there is that um, automatic reaction, like, oh my God, you've really touched my core of my soul. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's so hard to see past that to do all the normal conflict resolution things, you know, to uncover interests and to reframe and to listen and be curious and do all of those things that you and I have been taught to do. It's very hard to do that when the core of your soul has been attacked. Yes. Or at least you feel like it has. Either way, it's the same experience. Yes. So what do you do with that? And that's really uh, the third pivot is really uh, helps people think about how to do that, and that's to 
pivot away from the past, which we talked about, and what I say, toward the now. In other words, turn your attention away from what happened and toward what you're going to do to address the identity injury or bruise that you experienced in this conflict. And there are things you can do that only you need to do, and there are things that you may need to do that involve a conversation with the other person, a really important conversation. Let's. We have just about another, um, let me see how much time we have. We have about another minute. Do you think you could just tell a little bit about some things that you could do and then the rest people can find in your book, The Conflict Pivot? Would you be able to share a couple things that they can do? That they can do. What do you mean by that? I mean, a couple things that they can do to look forward. How, how, what can they, what steps can they take? Well, one of the things that they can do, and I'll just talk about that one, is that um, there are, there's a surprising amount of conflict that we can resolve only on our own without relying on the other person by, decide, by understanding that the ego bruise we experience may not even have been a real one. It may not have been intended. And if we can understand that and figure that out, often we can just move on. And I have a lot of examples in the book that address that. So that's one simple thing. Well, it is just terrific. I love this book. The name of it is The Conflict Pivot, Turning Conflict into Peace of Mind, Three Simple Practices to Dissolve Conflict at Work and at Home by Tammy Lenski. Tammy, you're just wonderful, and thank you so much for sharing this. And I hope that people go uh, to your website. Why don't you just give them your website? Uh, Mari, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. Uh, my website is just like my last name. It's L-E-N as in negotiation, S-K-I dot com. All right. Well, we will have you back again and stay in touch. Okay, Tammy? Thanks so much, Mari. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. Uh, for Prescriptions for Healing Conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks so much. Bye. It's about trust Yeah, yeah It's about faith It's about trust The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.